All right, all right. Hey, guys, how's it going? How's everybody doing? You guys doing good out there? All right, awesome. Hey, real quick, I'm going to get started, but I just want to pray over you really, really quick. I don't take this lightly. I'm so glad I could be here. So if you feel comfortable, raise a hand, raise both hands. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for these people. Thank you, God, for their lives. Thank you that you have a plan for each and every one of their lives. God, thank you that you love to speak to them. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit who reaches on the inside and takes out what needs to be taken out, puts in what needs to be put in. And God, I just pray that our relationship with the Holy Spirit will be closer, will be more intimate, and will be clearer after tonight. Thank you, God, for speaking through me. Thank you for every life that's represented here. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Hey, guys. Man, I'm so excited about this. I'm Jonathan. My name's Jonathan. I'm a pastor at Grace. Um, I, uh, I'm a really good buddy with Mark and Michelle. I love those guys. Give it up for Mark and Michelle who lead and do such an amazing job leading this ministry. Um, man, it's so cool to be here to see how many people are coming. You guys, this is incredible. Um, I, a little bit about me. I'm uh, married, been married for 13 years. So yeah, uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, and I also have two kids. I have a 10-year-old son named Elliot and a six-year-old girl named Eliza. And as I'm like sharing these numbers, I'm just like, man, I feel old, you guys. I feel old. How many of you guys are just like so jazzed to like reach your 30s? <laughs> exactly, okay? I'm like hanging on to my early, I'm going to be 35 this year, okay? So I'm like still like, yeah, I'm in my early 30s, whatever. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of young people that I work with, and they're always like cracking jokes about how old I am, all right? So, and, and I, try, I try not to get offended, but, but they always start with like, well, no offense, but you're like the oldest one here. And how many guys... When somebody says no offense, you're like, all right, I'm about to be offended. Like no offense is the worst way to start anything because you will 100% be offended. But I want to start, um, as we're talking about offense here, I want to start by asking you a question. When was the last time, think, think on it, remember back, when was the last time you like were deeply offended by something? Was it recently? Was it a while ago? When was the last time something just hit you and you were like, man, like I'm upset, I'm bothered by that. And the question would be, so when was the last time you were offended, and what did you do with that offense? What did you do with it? I think it breaks down kind of maybe into two categories. You have like your imploders, who are just like, like I'm offended, and I just want to like go into a corner and die. And then you have on the other side, where are my exploders at? Any exploders out there? Okay. All right, man. Yeah, be proud. Um, I'm... I'm a little bit of an exploder. I'm a little bit of like a male Karen, a little bit. I, I'm going to confess that. Um, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story about me. Um, when I was in middle school, my best friend had to, I have a picture of myself in middle school, so don't laugh when it comes up, okay, please? Um, but uh, I was in... <laughs> cute kid, man. Cute kid. Such a cool kid. Um, Thank you. I was in middle school. My best friend in the world had this thing where he would call me fat. All right. And in the 90s, like your best friend called you fat. Like it was a tough time, guys. And I'm like, come on, dude. Like seriously, like you're my best friend. But he would find a way to like weave it into conversation and be like, hey, you want that fry? Because you're fat. Hey, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? Being fat? 
And I'm like, okay, all right, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tough, but like after a while, it was just start, like, it was mounting, like too many, too, too many jokes, man. And at a certain point, it was about to just reach ahead, okay? And we're climbing up on this roof one day, as middle schoolers do, and he sees the opportunity, and he's zeroing in. He's like, hey, hope that roof doesn't cave in. Fat. So guys, I spin around. This is not an exaggeration. I spin around like a freaking ninja, all right? And I slapped my best friend right in his freaking face, okay? And he like immediately gets these like, like glassy tear eyes. He's like, and I'm like, dude, I may be fat, but I just slapped you. Ha! And that was an amazing comeback in middle school, okay? Thank you, you can clap for me. That's all right, I stood up for myself. Um, but here's the thing. What did I do with my offense? I exploded. I, I totally exploded. And did that solve the problem? No, because then my friend was offended at me for slapping him. And on and on and on it went. And I feel like that's the way of it, yeah? Like, we get offended. Maybe we act on it. Somebody gets offended at us. And then the offenses mount. And then, and then after a while, it's just like ir irreconcilable differences. Forget about it. Like, we, we hate each other now. Offense does that. Offense is a little bit of a dead end, you guys. And I feel like this, uh, this quote is a good jumping off point. I'm gonna read this quote from Mark Manson. This is not Charles Manson, relax. Um, Mark Manson's an author, he's not a murderer. So here we go. The quote is this. People get addicted to feeling offended all the time because it gives them a high. Being self-righteous uh, and morally superior feels good. And I, I agree with that. I can remember times where being offended about something, I, I felt important. And then it's, <clears throat> it's even better when you find somebody else who's offended along with you, you know? You ever had this happen where you're like, you're offended, I'm offended, can you believe this guy? Can you believe what they're doing? Like, can you believe the way they run this place? Like, what is going on? And then you become like the offended group. You feel powerful and justified because you're offended, they're offended, we're all offended. Let's be offended together and start a movement and like, you know, enact our vengeance on the people of the world who've offended us. But there's, there's a problem with that, obviously, we all know. And this is the problem, very succinct. How many of you guys know who Ricky Gervais is? Ricky Gervais, comedian. Okay, not too many of you. I was going to do an impression, but since nobody would get it, here's the quote. Do it. Do it. Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. That was terrible. That was terrible. But listen, I got it out of my system, and we're good. Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. I mean, guys... Why is it that we feel that when, we, when we're morally hurt or when we disagree, we all of a sudden have this boldness and this truth and authority that goes above everything else, and we say, well, I'm hurt, so I'm justified, so I'm right. No, you may just be hurt, and that really sucks that you're hurt, and we're not trying to downplay that you're hurt, but don't make the mistake of connecting too many dots to, I'm completely right about this, by the way. It's more complex than that. It's so much more complex than that. And especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if your true goal in life is to be a disciple of Jesus, which means you're looking at the person of Jesus and you're saying, how can I match my life to this life? How can I lay down my life and let him transform me into him? That's what a disciple of Jesus is. And we look at the Bible and we see what the Bible says about offense. And the Bible says that offense is actually... It's not something that makes you feel noble. It's not something to gather people around or, or, or to start a cause about. It actually, the Bible says it gets in the way. Offense gets in the way. So what do we do? What do, what do we do with offense? 
We want to we put aside our offense. We want to be disciples with no hindrances who follow Jesus. That sounds so good, right? Following Jesus, like transforming into the image of Jesus. It sounds so good until it doesn't. It sounds so good to, like, Jesus, we think we know him until we don't. Because we read in the Bible about how he did this unimaginable act of love, like the greatest act of love ever recorded. He gives his life for people he doesn't even know. The Bible says while we were still sinners, he laid down his life for us. That's how much he cared. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he wants to demonstrate that love. And we're amazed by that. But then we sw- switch and, and turn the pages a little bit, and we're like, wait, but there's other stuff in here that I don't like. Like, the Bible kind of offends me sometimes. Like, like, can I pick and choose the stuff? Like, the Jesus part about how he died for the world? Amazing. Can I pick that and then not some of this other stuff? I, I'm wrestling with it. I don't like it. I'd rather just put it away. I'd rather rip those pages out. Some of the stuff Jesus says, man, he ignores people sometimes. He's a little bit rude. He seems a little bit exclusive sometimes. What's that all about? Why? Why, why, why? But here's the thing. As a disciple of Jesus, the actual meaning of disciple is discipline. Jesus is disciplining us, which means when Jesus offends me, I have something to learn. I'm not going to hold my truth or my offense, the, the truth that I think is in my offense, over the truth of who Jesus is. I have to lay down what I think that truth is. I have to, I have to let go of it for a while so that I can let Jesus form me and shape me and transform me. And man, that's uncomfortable. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit, this is really uncomfortable. It's not like the fluffy, fun stuff. This is the stuff that makes us, and this is not the stuff that, you know, people who share messages on big stages love to jump to, because a lot of times, like, it, it, it gets messy and complex. But here's what I want to do. I brought you guys a story tonight from the Bible, Matthew 15. It's a story that offended me when I read it. It offended me a lot, and I wrestled with it a lot. And like in my quiet time with God, I read the Bible sometimes and there's stuff that I'd rather, I wish was not in there. (laughs) And this is one of those things. But instead of skipping over it, I said, okay, God, help me through this because this one is tough for me. We're going to read it together. All right. And I believe that God has something really amazing to say through it because he said it to me. This story challenged me in the best way. And I want to offer you that opportunity tonight, but I just want to let you know, it might challenge you. And if it does... I would lean into the challenge and ask the Holy Spirit to help you find the truth in this story the way he helped me. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Matthew 15, 21 starts this way. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So quick backstory. This is right in the middle of Jesus's ministry. He must be like 31 or 32 right now, okay? And he's got a lot of teenagers, 20-somethings, his disciples who are following him through Jerusalem and surrounding areas and regions. And he's teaching. He's gathering this reputation, building this reputation where people say, man, he's a really great teacher. But also, I heard that he like works miracles and does like these crazy things that nobody's ever seen before. And some people are even saying he's the son of God. So he's got this crazy reputation that's kind of swirling around him as he's traveling from town to town. And here's what happens. A Gentile woman, verse 22, who lived there, came to him, to Jesus, pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Okay, so a couple things to note right here about this woman who just came into the story. She's a Gentile woman. Some versions of the Bible say she's a Canaanite woman. The point is, she's not Jewish. She's not an Israelite. So why is that important? 
It's important because God is the God of the Israelites. Jesus is the Israelite Messiah. The Bible is the story of Israel. It's steeped in this Israelite culture that she wouldn't understand. And yet she finds Jesus. And what does she call him? Son of David. So this woman has no idea about Israelite culture, but she's done her homework. She's like, she's kind of like read up on Jesus. And she's like trying so hard to respect him by acknowledging his heritage, where he comes from, who he is. She calls him son of David. So we know this about her. She respects Jesus. And we also know this about her. She's a great mom. She's doing whatever she can at all costs. To, her, her daughter's got a big problem, big problem. She's got a demon in her. And she's like, no matter what, I'm going to pursue this Jesus. I'm going to do all the homework I need to do. I need to find him because I know he's the one who's going to heal her. So we like this woman. She's a hero. She's got great intentions. And this is what makes the next part of the story really hard to swallow. Next verse says this. Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. Like, okay, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing, man? We like this woman. Like, why are you not healing her right away? You're ignoring her. And these thoughts start to come up that, that we feel uncomfortable with. Wait a second, this isn't the Jesus that I've come to know. This isn't the Jesus I thought I knew. Why is he ignoring her? What is going on? Is, is Jesus like racist because she's a Gentile and not a Jew? What is happening? Let's keep reading. <laughs> 23b, then his disciples urged him, made it worse to send her away. Tell her to go. She's bothering us with all her begging. Now, it's really important to note that Jesus didn't say this, the disciples did. And so here, Jesus feels the need to speak up because his disciples are being jerks. Here's what he says. I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. This may be confusing, and I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. I think it's worth it so you can understand where Jesus is coming from. Jesus is talking about his mission strategy on earth. God has sent him to reach the Israelites. This woman is not an Israelite, but here's how the story is going to go. When the Israelites inevitably reject Jesus, the gift of salvation, the blessing of the Messiah is going to be for all the world. If you're still with me, say all the world. All right. But there's a certain order of things that Jesus is trying to acknowledge. As a matter of fact, in the book of Exodus, God calls Israel his firstborn son. Kind of interesting. Have you guys heard the story of Jacob and Esau? If you haven't, here's a quick backstory. There's these two brothers. Esau's the first brother, so he deserves the firstborn blessing. But in the Bible story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis, Jacob actually steals Esau's birthright, his blessing. In a little turn of events, a little shenanigans, Jacob steals the birthright, tricks Esau into giving it up. And so what happens is the firstborn doesn't get the blessing, the nextborn gets the blessing. And I'm telling you guys, this is a symbol of what's going to happen with the Israelites and the Gentiles. And here's the cool thing. In hindsight, Paul talks about it in Romans. He says, Romans 11, 11, Again I ask, did they, the Israelites, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery because they've rejected Jesus? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Everybody say, the Gentiles. Why? To make Israel envious. I love it. Jesus wants Israel to yearn for this blessing that he's about to give them. Man, eternal salvation. I am your Messiah. I am your Savior. And you don't want it? You don't want the blessing? So the plan is to give that blessing to the Gentiles so Israel can see the blessing for what it is and want it. 
That's the plan. He tells that plan to the Gentile woman. And so what does she do? She says, oh, I get it now. I understand. So sorry I bothered you. No, let's see what she does. She says she came and worshipped him. She would not take no for an answer. She is persistent. And she pleads again, Lord, help me. And this is the verse in the story I wrestled with the most. This is the one I highlighted and said, wrote in my margins, God, what? Here we go. 1526, Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Oof. Jesus. You've just said no to her three times, and this third time, you're comparing her people to dogs. Why? Why are you doing this? I don't, I don't like this, Jesus. I'm not comfortable with this, Jesus. I don't know if I can trust you through this, Jesus. Why are you doing this? If you guys are offended by that comment, know that I was too, and I wrestled with it, and know that even more so, this Gentile woman should have been offended. She could have been offended. But Jesus is doing something brilliant here. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's drawing this line, and he's writing that line, and he's seeing which side of that line the woman's going to fall on. Offense or humility? Offense or humility? It's her choice. She could totally be offended. That's an offensive remark. She could totally do it. Which side is she going to fall on? Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he messing with this woman? Why doesn't he just heal the daughter? Come on, Jesus. Because Jesus never has been, nor will he ever will be, a healing machine, a vending machine, a blessing machine. Jesus has always ever wanted one thing, relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to understand you, and he wants you to understand him. He's a God who cares enough about the little things in your life. Why is he messing with this woman? Because he wants to know her. He understands that she's persistent, but why? Are you trying to manipulate me? Are you trying to be entitled? Do you understand the magnitude of the gift, of the miracle? Are you going to take advantage of it? Are you going to turn around and badmouth Jesus? He's testing her because he wants to know her. And here, this is the ultimate test. Surely she's going to get up and say, I'm too offended. This is, this is BS. I'm out of here. What does she say? That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Wow. This woman is unoffendable. Unoffendable. Instead of being offended by what Jesus says, <clears throat> she pursues him with two things. Persistence and now humility. And guys, this is where the story takes an incredibly stark turn. I want you to read the next verse and see the difference, the contrast between what Jesus is saying and what he's doing in the beginning and what he does now. And we're going to deal with that contrast. She says, even the dogs eat the scraps from under the master's table. Verse 28, dear woman. Okay, so now he's speaking kindly to her. Your faith is great. He's praising her faith. Your request is granted. Wow. With just one gesture, he speaks kindly. He encourages her acknowledges her faith, and gives her exactly what she's looking for. What's the twist here? What's the shift? What's going on? Jesus is won over. He's won over by two things, persistence 
and humility. He's shown her that he's interested in her. He wants to know her, and she's shown him that whatever it takes, she's not going to stop asking. She's not going to stop pursuing. She's going to keep leaning in with persistence, with humility, and she's going to keep asking until she gets it. And Jesus is blown away by this, and he's moved by this. And guys, I'm telling you, from the very beginning of this story, we know the character of Jesus. We know he wants to give her this miracle. But he also wants to know her even more. If she had let offense get in the way, she would have never seen that blessing. But she refused to be offended. No offense, no offense, no offense. Impossible to be offended. I'm your disciple, Jesus. You teach me. You show me. I'm here for you. I trust you. Whatever you say goes. And she wins the heart of Jesus. I'm telling you, we will win the heart of Jesus if we pursue him with two things. Not offense. Put it away. If we pursue him with persistence and humility. It's that simple. Jesus is after relationship. That's all he wants. The Bible tells us when we draw close, what does he do? He draws close. But an offended mind, an offended mind cannot be a renewed mind. The more you hold on to that offense, the less room Jesus has to teach you. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, listen, I have my idea of what the truth is, but the reason I'm here is because you have that higher truth that I need. And I'm laying down what I have so that I can take hold of what you have. Luke 7, 23 says this, blessed is the one, here it is, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. I was, uh, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking through and just kind of reflecting on times in my life where I've really taken on offense and where it was, it, it was a big deal and it was hard to, to, to move on from it. And I thought of one instance in particular where I, I was 18, I was a student leader at a youth group, and uh, we were on this rotation of giving like a five-minute nugget, okay? This, this is a very coveted position. I mean, you get to get the microphone, you get to talk to the youth group, man, it was cool, okay? And this was gonna be the first time I would ever have a microphone and talk in front of my youth group, and it was like such an exciting opportunity. So my time came up, my week came up, I was excited. It was, it was about how, you know, it's better to give than to receive. Got my topic, I'm ready to go. You guys wanna hear what my nugget was? Okay, get ready. I go, hey, uh... I was driving 100 miles per hour in a 65, and a police officer pulled me over, but he didn't give me a ticket. You know why? It's because I've been tithing. That was my nugget, you guys. And let's just be, let's just be real. It wasn't a good first nugget, okay? It wasn't a good first nugget. But here's what happened. I still have a microphone. I'm in front of my whole youth group. My youth leader in the front row, he goes, Get him out of here! And at that moment, I'm glad you think that's funny. <laughs> it was funny, just not to me. In that moment, I'm standing there with the microphone in front of all my peers who I was trying to impress with my cool nugget, and everyone's like, Pfft. and I was so embarrassed, and I was standing at a crossroads right then and there where I was like, okay, I have two options here. I can be offended by this, which I really wanted to be. Like, I, I played out the whole scenario of like, you know what, I'm going to drop the mic, I'm going to walk out of this room and never go back to youth group again. That'll show them. I could do that. I could totally do that. And you know what? 
I could probably justify that because that hurt me. It hurt me real bad, and I could have justified that decision and gotten some people to rally around me to be like, yeah, man, that was not cool. I was so not good. Like, I can't believe he did that. That's one route. Or I could say, Holy Spirit, yikes, help me. Help me because I need to learn something from this, and I don't know what to do. I'm falling apart over here. And guys, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit taught me two things from that. He taught me, number one, never go out in front of a group of people without showing anybody your notes. And number two, don't ever put a young person in a position where they can fall that hard. Because to me, in that position, I knew I would never want that to happen to me. God can teach you through these difficult circumstances. But the more we cling to offense, the more we snuggle up to it, it's kind of like a warm blanket, makes us feel so good, the more we miss of what God wants to teach us. And sometimes he uses that really hard stuff to get our attention and to help us grow, guys. So for me, my encouragement is this. Can you let go of offense so you can grab hold of the blessing God has for you? If you're taking hold of that offense, your hands are full, and it might feel good, but you're not going to have room for anything else. So can you make it your mantra to say, no offense, no offense, no offense? Even as I'm studying the Bible and I come across stuff like this story, where it seems as though Jesus isn't as loving as I thought, let me look deeper because maybe I'll find what Jesus is actually trying to do. He's trying to get to know me. He's trying to shake me up. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the people I'm closest to annoy me the most. And sometimes Jesus will do that. He'll get on your business. He'll point to the one thing that you're like, no, anything else, anything else. Not that, Jesus, not that. He'll get right up in there and say, let's talk about this. Let's deal with this. Because this is the stuff that helps me to know you. And it's also the stuff that helps you to trust me. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. And I know this is kind of a, a lot. But I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit because, man, the Holy Spirit is so cool in the way that he can make this life to you. He can make it specific to your situation. And he wants to do that. So let's allow some time to do that. If you could, just close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to pray over you for just one minute. God, you're so good. Thank you that even when you offend us, it's because you want to teach us and you want to love us and you want to know us. You're not unkind. You're not uncaring. Your love for us is actually so big we don't even understand it. Sometimes we misinterpret it. Your love is so huge, it's so great, it's so powerful, sometimes it shakes us up, makes us feel like our lives are upside down, and that's the intention. You want us to hold on to you. So God, I pray for every single person, the sound of my voice. Thank you that your Holy Spirit does the work. Thank you, God, that you're a personal God. Man, you made it so that we can have conversation with you wherever we go. You're Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not just God expecting something from us, God looking down on us, God with us. You're God with us. So be with us, God. Open our hearts to the offenses we need to let go of. Don't let them be barriers anymore. 
Instead, God, let us let go so we can grab hold of blessing. In Jesus' name. And hey, real quick, we've been talking a lot about Jesus tonight. And I'm curious if there's anybody in the room who's just getting started, who would maybe say, you know, I don't really think I have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know that I've taken the steps to know him the way I want to know him. Well, I'll tell you this, he wants to know you. But there's one thing the Bible says is that he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you and talk with you, show you things, teach you things, protect you, guide you, preserve you, build you up. If you're ready for that, if you want to say yes to Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say a quick prayer with me right where you're at. And we can all pray along too. Say it out loud though. Let's all say it together. Say, Jesus, thank you that you are God with me. You're not far off. You're right here. I want to know you. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I know you're my Savior, but I want to make you my guide. Help me to walk with you, to hear from you, to know your voice. In Jesus' name.